Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found in a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. Here in Season 2, we're focusing on hydrocarbon extraction and post-processing, with each episode digging deep into a particular stage in that process. The shows are released in an order that follows the workflow through a lab as material makes its way from cultivar to concentrate. Last season, we worked our way through an ethanol extraction facility, starting with biomass and following it all the way through to either distillate or isolate. This season, we'll do the same, but with hydrocarbon extraction and all the highly sought-after craft concentrates that this style can produce. Last week on the show, we talked to Alex Barsky, founder of C1D1 Labs, about their prefabbed and modular C1D1 extraction booths, as well as their services that can help you out in any stage of your journey along planning, building, permitting, or retrofitting your existing facility. In today's show, we'll be talking to Lexis Schantz, founder and president of Solvent Direct. One of the least talked about components of the extraction process is the solvent we'll be using to perform our extraction. Get ready for a deep dive into the solvent space as Lex breaks down what solvents and solvent blends are hot in the industry, how incredibly important solvent purity is, and how their revolutionary approach to quality, logistics, and customer service makes Solvent Direct a solid choice for your operation. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Lexus Schantz, founder and president of Solvent Direct, welcome to the Modern Extractor. Oh, hey man, thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. Absolutely excited to have you on today. Where where are you calling in from? Uh, I am calling in from our uh, headquarters in Los Angeles. Uh, we're in the Manhattan Beach area. All right. I'm also in the Los Angeles area, about as, as far as you could get away from the beach and still call it the Los Angeles area, uh, over here in El Monte. So uh, tell us a little bit about your start in the cannabis industry and, and what your path was like to starting Solvent Direct and building it into the, the monster that it's become. Oh, wow. Uh, that's flattering. Um, I still feel like it's a little tiny startup. Um, my background in cannabis goes pretty far back. Um, I've always kind of been in the sales and marketing space. Uh, going back into middle school and high school, I was selling glass for glass blowers. Um, so I've always kind of been around the ancillary supply. Um, in 2006, 2007, uh, Illadelph glass, if you remember the glass on glass technology, kind of like roar, but they had the coil that could go into the freezer. Um, I came out with them, uh, to Hollywood. We opened a showroom on Melrose Avenue, right about La Brea. Uh, and we made that a gallery. It was uh, very specifically not a head shop, but it was a glass gallery where we really showcased pieces. Uh, and if Illadelph back then, I mean, we were selling pipes between five and $10,000 and, uh, we had a lot of the prop 215 community at the time in California that would come into the store and pick up, you know, really nice pipes. Some guys would buy a couple for Christmas presents or whatever it was. Um, and so, uh, kind of through glass is where I, I really found, uh, my start and specifically in California, because at the time Illadelph was hot, everybody was smoking flour and, uh, we had a lot of kind of names come through the shop, Snoop Dogg and DJ Quick, and we were throwing uh, kind of marketing parties up in the Hollywood Hills, and it was really a community of the Prop 215 crowd in Southern California, kind of combined with glass and glass blowing, and uh, that's kind of where I met everybody. Very cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, if that's uh, if that's the intro and and how it all started, uh, how did it end up moving into uh, selling? 
more picks and shovels and uh, and solvents for the extraction folks. Sure. Um, so we were doing, uh, you know, glass uh, uh, in in the Hollywood 215 LA SoCal scene, um, and actually uh, 2000, about six seven years ago at this point, um, somebody actually uh, told me about large uh, volumes of butane, um, uh, and so it was it was that was the first time that I kind of realized you could get something other than a can. Of course, everybody knew what people were doing with cans at the time. Um, it was pretty dangerous stuff. Uh, obviously, the ability to uh, monetize the scraps or the trim. Uh, was something that everybody was kind of on to. Um, but there wasn't really a reliable, safe way to get that supply. So you had people buying master cases and, you know, they were making pretty crazy claims on those uh, cans about how clean or pure the product was. Um, we know that was being imported from places outside of the U.S. and there wasn't really any kind of um, regulation about the information that was being provided. So they were selling this ultra-pure whatever they called it at the time. And the reality was it actually wasn't. So not only did it kind of uh, endorse or necessitate a dangerous application of the product, but it also wasn't the purity that people were looking for and, and nobody knew what to do with the empty. I mean, it was just on and on. And so when, when I found that we could bottle or capture high purity gas in large cylinders that were reusable uh, and DOT compliant, so it's something that's safe to go over the road, I, you know, it was an obvious opportunity. Um, and, and being of service to the industry and the community for years prior, it was just kind of a natural um, to, to, to be of service in this way. I saw a big need for it. It was hard for people to get a hold of large quantities like this. And um, through a, different, a couple of different companies and partnerships, I had been uh, kind of servicing that space. Right on. If uh, if that's how it all started, give us a give us a bird's eye view of what Solvent Direct is right now and what your plans are for the future. Wow. Okay, that's a big question. Um, so right now, Solvent Direct is you know we're a chemical and gas distributor. Uh, we're a DOT interstate carrier. Uh, we employ hazmat drivers all over the country uh, to be able to execute final mile deliveries. Um, I think our strength is really. Uh, efficiency and customer service. Um, you know, our response times and lead times are are the best in the country for these applications, um, and and so that's kind of uh, what we do in a nutshell. Um, we service four main categories of product, uh, from your hydrocarbon gases, butane, propane, and isobutane, to your chemicals like ethanol, denatured ethanol, isopropyl alcohol, hexane, heptane, pentane, methanol, acetone, you name it. Uh, over to dry ice, that's a large product category for us. Obviously, the application of thermal dynamics and extraction is pretty significant. Uh, and then uh, the medias, uh, filtration media, CRC media, it's obviously a big uh, part of the supply chain. Um, you know, carbon chemistry, media bros, chemtech are kind of the, the big names that you hear a lot about. Uh, there's also some off-brand alternatives that you can uh, that you can get from us and, and, uh, really were, and, and then also I should mention oils and, 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 and heat transfer fluids, uh, from leaders like Duratherm, Dynaline, Marlatherm. Um, you know, we also carry those. So really we are positioned, uh, to, to streamline supply chain by delivering most of the lab consumables that are used in a manufacturing lab. Um, and we call that the power of one, uh, the ability to make one phone call, 
take one delivery and pay one invoice. So obviously the convenience of having everything delivered on one truck is is really our value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a huge difference. I know being in the uh, in the extraction world myself, when things were just starting to get going, you would be driving all over town to get all the things you needed if you were lucky and in a town where they were all in existence. Otherwise, you'd be waiting on some things in the mail. I mean, it, it was a, it was a nightmare to get all your parts and pieces. Yeah, and it's and it's time sensitive, right? I mean, if you're dealing in dry ice, that's a a, a perishable item, right? I mean, it's sublimating at a rate of three to six percent per day. You can't wait uh, mm-hmm. for your ethanol delivery if your dry ice is sitting there, literally evaporating. Um, and so it's it's really critical that all of these pieces to the supply chain are delivered in a in a scheduled, systematic way that allows you to optimize payroll and rent and all the other expenses that go into the process. It, that's that's where we are, and and the ability to do same day and next day delivery is something that I think our clients really appreciate because it gives them the ability. Um, to make uh, predictions and plans based on a reliable supply chain, especially when you think about the fire department um, regulating the amount of uh, flammable solvent that can be stored on site, right? So in certain jurisdictions, they're limited in a big way to how much uh, the, the, the processor or manufacturer can actually store on site. Uh, and it might be a limitation that prevents them from even operating a full eight-hour shift, uh, we've got some clients, I don't think so anymore, but back in the day, uh, in certain jurisdictions in California, these guys, we had to deliver twice a day just to keep these guys stocked and, and operating and while meeting the, the requirements of the fire department. Yeah, it's really, really important to have uh, accurate delivery schedules and times when you're trying to do that dance with the uh, the maximum allowable quantities for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this season's about hydrocarbon extraction. Last season was ethanol. Um, I've got actually some ethanol questions for you later. Um, but with this season being about hydrocarbon, let's start there. Uh, what is it about liquid hydrocarbon gas that makes it the go-to extraction choice for the craft concentrates you're seeing out there on the market? Oh, wow. Cool. That's a big question. Um, I mean, I think the simple answer is is that it's a very efficient solvent, Right. Um, I mean, it is readily, it, it just, it quickly and efficiently dissolves can, cannabinoids and terpenoids and terpenes, and, um, especially with when you mix temperature and, and the thermal dynamic aspect into it. But it's, it's really efficiently targeting uh, the, the good stuff and, and, and not the bad stuff. So it's, it's very selective in that sense. Whereas ethanol, like you mentioned, um, it, it's much more polar. So it's not as specific. Um, and so... When you're talking about a, a craft concentrate, the the hydrocarbon gas is just much more efficient in grabbing it. All right. Um, so earlier you mentioned uh, you rattle off a very long list that you've clearly said many times before uh, <laughs> in regard to what it is that you carry in the in the solvent world, but um, specifically the the liquid hydrocarbon gases or the the LPGs. Um, what are the different offerings that you have in that respect? Well, there's the three primary gases, right? Uh, you've got butane, propane, and isobutane. Um, and, and all of those gases kind of work at different uh, pressures and temps. But um, primarily, you know, those are the three primary. And then you've got these mixtures. Um, some guys uh, like to kind of purchase from us prepackaged mixtures as opposed to mixing uh, at their facility. Um, 70-30 is obviously the blend. I mean, that's uh, that's probably our number two seller. 
Um, butane is obviously just straight butane and butane um, is, is a top seller. Uh, and then I think second to that would be your 70-30. But then if you've got any kind of custom blend request, because we have uh, facilities that are capable of cleaning, filling, and requalifying cylinders, uh, that really gives us a lot of control over quality and supply chain, um, we have the ability to mix any custom blend. I, we've got some guys that like proprietary blends that uh, are very specific. Um, and and uh, and so, yeah, we carry 70-30, 60-20-20, 85-10-5, uh, I mean, you name the, the mixture of those three primaries and, and we've got them. So just for the folks that don't know out there, when you say 70-30, that's 70% butane and 30% propane? Yeah. And I would say because that's such a big seller, I think everybody just calls it the 70-30. Um, but yeah, you would want to indicate what the the proportion or the ratio is. Um, so uh, inside of an LP-239 cylinder, which would be what most industrial suppliers call a 100-pound cylinder. Um, we don't use those terms. Uh, we use LP-239. That's the water weight of the cylinder. Water is a constant, whereas gas is not. So on a liquid petroleum 239 cylinder, which is about four feet tall, 18 inches in diameter, um, you can fill that for propane, like industrial guys. They're used to filling them to 100 pounds. They've been doing it for 50 years. Uh, when it comes to butane, the DOT allowable uh, fill limit is 120 pounds on butane. Um, so when you start looking at the density of gas and how much you can actually get into a cylinder, um, you can start to determine weights and how much you can fill to. So when our when our guys are filling tanks off of our our bulk tanks, they're actually just watching the weight limit, right? So that seventy thirty ratio uh, is actually a hundred and fourteen pound fill on a LP two thirty nine. Um, and, and they're, they're measuring on a scale how much butane they filled to. Then they disconnect butane and hook up the propane, and then they're filling with the propane. Understood. So why would I choose a gas blend over a, a pure, uh, pure gas by itself? That's a very interesting question. Um, and I think that you'd get probably some different answers from different people. Um, you know, I, I, I can tell you that like 70-30, right? We know that the 70-butane, 30% propane blend is a very common blend. A lot of people like it. and um, But it really depends on what temperature you're running, right? Back to the thermodynamics. Um, so, you know, because there's a different chemistry. And, 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 and propane, for instance, is, is more selective than butane. Um, but, but then propane, you know, the product comes out a little orangey, right? Whereas, whereas butane is more preferred in that sense. So it, it, it's going to depend on your system, how it's built and what temperature you're running at that would really help you kind of identify which of the, of the, the, the gases or blends that you're running. Um, I can tell you, I think, uh, you know, like, uh, busy bee Boris over at busy bee, uh, he's got some great systems that run cold and, and in, you know, for him, he's typically running a straight butane. Um, uh, whereas the blend with the propane, sure, you're running at higher pressures because propane has a lower boiling point. Um, but it's really, a, it's a, it's a, I, I would consider that a, an equipment, uh, and, and whoever's operating that equipment, it, it's a, it's a decision that really the varies from lab to lab. It's hard to really say. Understood. Yeah, there's so many variables about what exactly you're trying to produce, what you're trying to produce it with, uh, and then the the gas is just one of those components. But it's nice to know that there's a there's a different tools in the toolbox, and and you can su supply all of them that we need. 
Yeah, I think the tool, that's exactly it, right? You can, the wrench, the hammer, the tool, the shovel, the pick, whatever it might be, can be used in a lot of different ways. And um, there's a lot of standard ways to do it. And, and then you apply temperature as a tool and pressure as a tool and things get even you know, more varied. Um, and, and what's really cool is to see the innovation. Um, you know, guys that are, are, are pushing the envelope and finding new ways to use those tools to create things more efficiently or at a higher quality or whatever, uh, whatever it might be. And then you have the huge variable of your biomass, right? I mean, that is something that needs to be kind of uh, uh, evaluated on a case-by-case basis because, you know, typically biomasses can, can be inconsistent depending on your sources. Absolutely. I would agree with that one. Um, let's talk a little bit here about solvent quality. Uh, well, most of the people out there know that they want to be using high quality solvents. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know how to spot a low quality solvent or even what a low quality solvent actually means. So talk to us a little bit about the difference um, with solvent qualities and purities. Sure. Um, and this is something that you know we, we really... Um, I enjoy answering this question. Let me put it that way. It's something that's really important. Uh, um, There's there's very little oversight in this department, right? When you look at um, how the FDA regulates uh, McNeil Laboratories, who makes Tylenol, right? So they use acetone in that process. They use the acetone to encapsulate the powder, and that's how you actually get the Tylenol uh, capsule. Um, and that acetone in the pharmaceutical world has to be a certain grade. Uh, I think it's ACS. Um, and the ACS grade acetone, typically, not only does a supplier or a distributor like Solvent Direct have a certificate of analysis that speaks to the quality of the product, but typically in big business, especially big pharmaceutical business, you've got uh, the, the, the user, the manufacturer of the product uh, in this case, McNeil Laboratories, they're doing independent batch testing on that acetone. And that comes down to product liability. They don't want to put out a bottle of Tylenol pills or a gajillion bottle of Tylenol pills um, that are going to get people sick. And so for from a product liability and a, and a liability exposure standpoint, they're going to independently test. They're not just going to take the COA from the supplier, the distributor, or the manufacturer of the acetone. They're going to test it themselves. And um, that level of scrutiny and, and careful uh, and good manufacturing process, right? I mean, GMP, um, that doesn't really exist in, in this space so much. Uh, it's something that the federal government, who's typically tasked with um, uh, overseeing and enforcing and regulating these things, is not looking at it this time, right? They've, they've kind of turned a blind eye to it. Um, and so when you get into the different product categories and what standards they're meeting in this application, it's still the wild, wild west. It's um, the federal government's, you know, tasking the state governments to regulate themselves in, in, in these processes. And the state government really doesn't have the experience or even the enforcement branches of government to be able to handle the, the regulation or the enforcement of, of those standards. Uh, let alone the ability to set those standards. And so, like I said, it's the Wild West. Um, Gas is the biggest. Uh, One of the things, kind of back to my history, seeing those cans being used years ago um, and the purity kind of being questionable, right? You never actually knew if it was a clean can or not. Um, You, we we started to kind of study that. Um, and, And working with 
uh, some people over at Purdue University um, and, and also our partner uh, that does all of our filling in bulk gas and uh, cylinder cleaning. Um, we developed uh, what we call the three-phase decontamination. So in the gas world, when you're talking about butane, propane, and isobutane, um, there's a certain standard that's commonly used for extraction, and that's instrument grade or ultra-high purity, depending on who you talk to. Um, that sets a standard of 99.5% impurity-free. So what you're talking about is something that's 99.5% pure. It has an allowable threshold of 0.5%. Uh, and, and, and that's instrument grade or ultra high purity. There's also research grade, which is the, uh, the five nines, 99.999%. Um, and the research grade is not being used in extraction. It's phenomenally expensive. It's typically used in aerospace, uh, technology, uh, making microchips and things like that. Um, uh, so that's kind of the, the, the highest uh, purity that you're going to get. But on the instrument grade and on the instrument standard, um, when you're talking about 99.5, it's a two-part play, right? And we use the analogy of coffee. Um, if you were to walk into a restaurant and they had a clean pot of coffee and they told you this coffee is 99.5% impurity-free, it's great coffee, you're going to love it. And then they pulled out a dirty mug, sat it on, in front of you and poured that coffee into the dirty mug. And that mug might have sediments and other things kind of accumulating inside of the mug because it's never been cleaned or dumped out. You'd probably look at them a little bit funny, <laughs> um, right? I mean, it's like, wait a second, the pot of coffee looks great. Uh, but this mug is filthy. How do I know what you're, you know, contaminating or cross-contaminating the gas with if you're dumping it into this mug and you have no way of verifying that you're you're putting it into a, a clean uh, mug? And and that's that is the critical thing that Solvent Direct does very differently than uh, we hear other people talking about cylinder cleaning. We just don't see it. Um, you know, cylinder cleaning. Uh, is a big deal. And so, so I guess the, the, the short answer to your question, which I've gotten way off track, but this is a big topic for us, is that not only at Solvent Direct, we offer a certificate of analysis on the product so that we can certify that every one of our products, butane, propane, and isobutane on the gas side, is meeting a certain standard of 99.5%, but we also have a certification on the cylinder or the container. That way we can verify whatever we're filling has the same impurity or purity standard, and we're not taking our clean pot of coffee and dumping it into something that we can't certify. That makes us very different than, than everybody else out there, right? Um, and that's, there's an article on our blog. Uh, it's called The History of Three-Phase um, uh, three Cylinder Decontamination. And it really kind of lays out um, how we develop the system working with Purdue University and, and our partners. But um, it's based on uh, cylinder cleaning standards under FDA CFR 211.8. Uh, to section 211.94. And that calls for the cleaning and disinfection of medical cylinders, right? Like oxygen. So um, this is kind of, you know, uh, relevant right now because we are very aware of oxygen cylinders being connected to respirators because of the pandemic. And for obvious reasons, there is a standard under FDA CFR 211.8 to 211.94 that calls for cleaning on those cylinders because you wouldn't want to be cross-contaminating. Now, we're talking about oxygen, which is an inert gas. It's not petroleum-based, unlike butane, propane, and isobutane. You're dealing with petroleum product. Um, Petroleum is known to have heavy metals and and, uh, 
you know, benzene, for instance, uh, under California state law, Proposition 65, benzene is known to the state of California to cause cancer and reproductive harm. I mean, that's posted on most any facility that has petroleum products. If we're cleaning instrument grade gas or ultra high purity gas to a very high standard of 99.5, um, it's important that we're transporting it and delivering it in containers or vessels that are just as clean, if not cleaner. Um, and, and you see this in the ethanol world. Uh, on a food grade alcohol or a food grade ethanol, the minute you take it from the manufacturer in a rail car to a mixing tank to a hose to a drum or a tote that might be finally delivered to an end user, it's critical that every part of that supply chain meets a certain standard under FDA standards, right? So you've got to have food grade vessels, food grade containers. But that precedent and that regulation and enforcement and oversight, it just doesn't exist for gases, specifically in this application. You don't have anybody setting the standard for the type of container or delivery vessel that you're using to get that product the final mile. Um, to the contrary, what's happening unfortunately, uh, is that you have people handing out certificates of analysis that probably came from a manufacturer somewhere in Texas and handing that to a distributor who's then photocopying that and handing that to an end user. And what they're saying with that document is, don't worry, the gas is clean. But just like the pot of coffee analogy, it was clean at a certain point. There's no way in that certificate of analysis without a clear study of the chain of custody to determine that it was maintained through the chain of custody. And, and, and unfortunately, with industrial supply, where these guys are used to just refilling propane cylinders for years and years and years without ever cleaning them. They, I mean, they literally never clean them. These guys think that it's okay to take that clean pot of coffee or that clean uh, vessel of gas and dump it into a dirty mug. And unfortunately, sometimes those sediments in those dirty mugs contain things that can cause cancer, right? And there's this buildup, there's this accumulation. And that I wish I had a whiteboard to kind of draw this on, but you know, if you just look at the ratio 99.5 to 5 uh, to 0.5, um, you're talking about on a hundred pound cylinder of gas, you're talking about up to a half pound of impurity. We know NGLs and LPGs are typically filled with a lot of moisture content, right? This stuff is is typically moist, but that moisture is also a carrier. So you've got a lot of water, um, but you know that that you know benzene and other kinds of, of heavies can can transfer um, and accumulate. Uh, so it's kind of like the you know how many licks to the center of the Tootsie Pop? How many times before you fill up the same coffee mug without ever dumping it or cleaning it before you hit very de dangerous and detectable levels of cancer-causing petroleum uh, byproduct that wasn't on the COA. And so if anybody's selling you gas in a cylinder and, and showing you a COA, you really want to find out, well, where was that COA derived from? I mean, at what point did you analyze the product? Was this COA derived from the individual cylinder that's being uh, sold for, for sale on the shelf right now? Or was it derived from a manufacturer three or four vessels ago in the chain of custody. Um, and I wouldn't even say that that completely resolves the issue. I mean, this, again, this is a huge question for us and, and we've got a lot of information on it on our blog, solventdirect.com. But 
when you start looking at cylinder requalifications, right, and you study these supply chains, every five or 10 years, depending on the manufacturer of the cylinder in the U.S. under DOT federal law, uh, you're required to requalify those cylinders. And, and a requalification of a cylinder is a, is a multi-step process where you're looking at a DOT tank. And when I say DOT tank, you're talking about a tank that can go over the road under pressure filled with you know, potentially a, a hazardous product like butane, propane, or isobutane. And in that requalification process, one of the things that they're doing is measuring the interior wall thickness of the tank. And they're measuring that every five or 10 years, again, depending on the manufacturer, because they want to make sure that it's sound, that it's safe, that it can contain the product. And, and under DOT law, there's even some more requirements that it could withstand uh, you know, a, 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 an impact or a pressure. If the pressure rises because of outside or exterior temperatures, uh, the, the cylinder needs to be safe and, and sound. Um, and so what you have across the country are um, these, these facilities, and there's only a few in the U.S. Um, that are kind of known for doing this type of work. They use a couple of different ways of testing the, uh, the soundness of the cylinder. Uh, hydrostatic testing is kind of the old school way of doing it. You're literally dropping cylinders uh, into a uh, pressurized kind of like a hole in the ground um, and putting it under tremendous pressure and seeing if it bursts, Right. Um, because it just can't sustain the pressure. Uh, another way, a new, a new technology that they have are using computers, right? I think it's like an x-ray that's measuring the interior wall uh, thickness to determine whether or not the cylinders still sound. And I'm going off into this tangent, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going too deep. And, and this is stuff that we're really passionate about at Salt and Direct, right? I mean, this is where we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to improve standards and, and help our consumers and our customers uh, uh, meet and exceed industry standards, even when they're not being applied by the oversight uh, bodies, right? Or the, the FDA, for instance. But, but here's why this is very relevant. So the, the cylinder, the reason they're testing the interior wall thickness of those tanks is because the moisture content that we know exists inside of NGLs and LPG like butane, propane, and isobutane, and in our scenario at a rate of a half a percent or a half pound, that impurity can corrode and deteriorate the inside of the cylinder. And the federal government knows that. The DOT, the Department of Transportation, they know that. And so they require Every five or 10 years, every cylinder in this country that's over the road has to be requalified to say that, yes, the interior wall uh, thickness is still safe. And they're doing that because the moisture inside is rusting and corroding, specifically the bottom, right, where those heavies and all of that sits and collects. This is like disturbing. Um, the issue is that if you're corroding the inside of the tank, where is the metal going? I mean, you're looking at carbon steel. We know that it's, you know, it's carbon steel. It's, it's, it's literally breaking down into your gas. So again, if somebody hands you a dirty coffee mug and they have no way of telling you that this is a certified, clean, decontaminated coffee mug, 
you have no idea. I mean, the coffee pot could be 99.5 all day long. If you dump that into a dirty coffee mug, that could be corroding and breaking down with carbon steel and lead and other things that could be going on in there. It's just, it's, it's again, the wild, wild west. And that's where you get black specks. You get mystery oil. You get these other accumulations that are building up inside of tanks. And, and the, it's, it's really a sick joke that anybody would call it mystery oil. I mean, it's not a mystery. We know exactly what mystery oil is. I mean, you can study it. We can pull it out. Uh, we have some contacts at the University of Oregon um, that, that have looked at these things. Y you have the ability to say exactly what mystery oil is. Typically, it's accumulations of impurity because cylinders are being refilled countless times like it has been in the industrial propane industry for the last 60 years, right? You don't have to clean a propane tank for a heat lamp or for, uh, for your barbecue. It, it just, it's being cooked off. The gas isn't being run straight through your burger. It's being burnt. It's being cooked. And so these guys have never needed to clean those cylinders. They don't even know how to clean those cylinders. And oftentimes the irony is they don't even, they're not even capable of requalifying the cylinders. I can tell you that some of the big requalification companies in the country, they do the qualifications for the major industrial gas distributors in this country. And there's two big ones. It's like Pepsi and Coke. And I, I don't want to name names, but, um, those guys actually don't qualify their own cylinders or requalify their own cylinders. They don't find it profitable. And so they outsource it. Um, and that the last, I guess, point, um, you know, and some of the value that Solvent Direct brings. So yes, we clean every cylinder before every single refill and we certify it. A requalifier is going into that tank, devalving it, cleaning it, uh, checking it with a scope. We use a camera scope to look in there and make sure that everything is sound and good. Uh, and then revalving that thing, vacuuming it down, drying it with nitrogen and then refilling it. That process, we are the first to do it. Nobody else does it in the industry. Um, and it is how we can certify that the purity standard of the gas matches uh, in every single one of our vessels. It's consistent because we can certify that the vessel was cleaned before we refilled it. I don't know anybody else in the industry doing it. Um, and it makes us very different. We do not have mystery oil for that reason. The idea that somebody is supposed to distill mystery oil out of their gas inside of a lab is a sick joke. Uh, I mean, wait till the EPA figures out what mystery oil is and then starts knocking on the doors of laboratories saying, excuse me, where did you put that mystery oil? I sure hope you didn't run it down the drain. That could cause you a big problem. Um, but the fact that the lab and the system and the people are even being exposed to these petroleum waste accumulations, it if you can't tell, I get a little bit emotional about it because it's it's truly evil. It is wrong. Um, we have the ability and the technology. Solvent Direct has adapted medical cleaning standards under FDA CFR 211.80 to 211.94 to apply to LPG cylinders. That's really never been done before uh, at scale, right? Anybody can do it. How can you do 15 cylinders per you know, 10 minutes or how, what's your throughput? Um, and, and do it cost effectively. That's the beauty of this. We have the ability to deliver cylinders that don't have that mystery oil gunk inside of them uh, and, 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 and do it at, cost at, at the same price as the other guys. I mean, we offer a price match guarantee. Check, check the website. There's a little link you can click on and submit an invoice from another supplier and uh, we'll show you the value. And the last thing, because we don't have those accumulations of sediment building at the bottom of our tanks with benzene and other heavies just accumulating, we actually offer full length uh, angle cut dip tubes. 
So because it's a liquid petroleum, uh, our dip tubes are full length. They touch the bottom of the tank with an angle cut, just like a Slurpee straw, right? If you had a flat straw in your Slurpee, you wouldn't be able to get up those last couple of drops. And so they put that angle cut down there. That's how we're able to slurp up every last drop. We've seen the inside of our competitors' tanks. Those dip tubes are typically six to nine inches short. The reason they're cutting them short is because they don't want you to slurp up every last drop. They don't want you to pull up that sediment, the heavy metal, the cancer-causing benzene, whatever else is brewing inside of that cylinder that they haven't looked inside of ever, or maybe five or 10 years ago, they paid somebody else to look inside of it. Um, and and that um, that's what we do differently. So you can get every last drop out of our tanks when the other guys, they give you, they, you can't even drink your whole milkshake because they didn't give you a long enough straw uh, because they don't want you to pull up the, the contaminant. And so when you look at the price tag, um, you know, if they even filled the butane to 120 pounds, a lot of our industrial competitors, they don't fill to 120 pounds because they don't even understand high purity gases or the density of butane. They just know propane where you can only fill to 100. Um, you're not even getting every last drop, though, because they gave you a short straw so that you didn't suck up the nasty stuff that they're telling you to distill out of your tank because it's a mystery. It's not a mystery. We know exactly what it is and we know how to prevent it. Yeah. It's just gross. Yeah. I've gone on too long on that, but that's, that's something that's really what I built solvent direct on, you know, purity is our priority engineered for extraction. These are some of the key terms that I use to describe this business because truly we built this business specifically for extractors to find high quality products and to set their businesses up for success. And, and that's something that we really care about. We work on every single day. We're not distracted with other industries or other purity standards. We're specifically focused on this and, and finding better ways to do things to help uh, our customers so that they can help consumers get safe, ethical, responsible products out on the market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's a, it's a conversation that really needs to be had more often regarding the quality of the solvents that we're using to extract. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is coming into direct contact with your final product material, yeah. and then that's going to go directly into somebody's body. So yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It could be cooked. I mean, it could be lit on fire, right? I mean, you might be burning it or heating it to temperature. Um, I can tell you the FDA is aware of what's happening. Uh, they're in a couple of labs here in California right now looking at process. Um, and we're very involved with that. So I think you are going to see some regulation here at some point. Uh, we'll see how that goes and when it happens. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You do think that it's going to be on the uh, on the horizon here sooner than later, huh? Absolutely. So if you look at, we have customers down in South America, uh, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, actually Lesotho, South Africa has uh, extraction happening. Um, and, uh, and in these markets, uh, these guys are focused on exports, right? They want to get that product um, into, uh, I hate to say it, but civilization, right? The, the Colombian market, for instance, is really eager to be shipping into Canada and Europe where they can really monetize their product. And so, um, the point is the good manufacturing GMP standards, right? Or ISO standards. But th th those guys down there are actually more dialed into this than we're seeing here in the U.S. right now. Um, and so, yes, I don't I believe just like the McNeil Laboratories acetone uh, example, I believe that what you're going to see is the companies, the private entities actually start to regulate themselves. 
uh, it's just important that we get the information out there. And very similar to what happened in 1909, um, you know, Upton Sinclair wrote the book, The Jungle, about the slaughterhouses, 1906. Uh, the, the world kind of reads that book and goes, my God, what's going on in this industrial uh, you know, farming and, and, and slaughterhouse, right? I mean, how, where is this meat coming from and what's inside of it and how are the animals being treated and what's going on? 1909, the Flavor Extract Manufacturing Association incorporates and the Flavor Extract Manufacturing Association was the first body and it was private. It wasn't government, private to put ingredients on food packaging. And they did that because they wanted to show people that their products were safe, right? Now, whether or not they were actually safe or whether or not their practices were good, you saw private industry go out of their way to show people, to shine light uh, on, on the topic of what is inside of packaged food. What are the ingredients? It's, it's common, right? We're all scared of the dark. We don't know what Bigfoot is. And so it's scary. And as soon as you put light on it, it's not as scary. And it was the food industry. It was private industry that decided to start putting those ingredients on the packaging. It wasn't the government. The government later required it. And the government, of course, regulated it and made it into a big uh, to do. Um, but at the time, it was just a matter of private industry looking to um, show consumers that it was safe to, to consume their products. Yeah. I mean, if you're the guy that's out there doing it right, you have no problem letting somebody look under the hood. It's Boom. the guys that are not doing it right that don't want this regulation or don't want people to know what's going on. Absolutely. And we're super passionate about that here at Solvent Direct. We've got some patents pending on technology that would give you clear visibility and transparency into not only the manufacturing process, but also the regulatory side of it. Fire, uh, building and safety, California Department of Public Health, any Department of Public Health. But give we have some really cool technology. Um, it's not out yet. It's, it's still kind of in beta. We've got it in a couple labs being used. Uh, fire departments are, are in on it, but it gives us the ability to track from soil to oil to consumer, right? You can see, and not from a regulatory standpoint, but from a transparency standpoint, we can assemble data points in a way that the consumer can look at the back of the package, maybe scan it with a QR code and say, oh, wow, I feel comfortable consuming this product. As opposed to the chicken nuggets at some of the famous fast food places, right? I mean, we saw those videos and it was terrifying to think what the hell was going into the chicken nugget. Um, it's for good, good people that want to consume good products. You know, as we see this shift away from uh, big corporate food and we see things becoming more local, more farm to table, more about quality, not about just price. Uh, but quality, um, I think, uh, you know, this industry specifically has a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to take the higher path. And that's, again, what Solvent Direct stands for. We're not here. We want to do it at the best price possible so that people can be profitable and our, our clients can be successful. But we also don't want to cut corners when it comes to quality or safety or ethics, because we really believe in high quality products. We put, uh, you know, cannabis first. Um, it's, it's, it's our, it's our priority. That's why we say, uh, purity is our priority. I, I certainly have a lot of respect for that. There's a, uh, there's plenty of unscrupulous vendors that are in the, in the solvent supply space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could speak from firsthand experience, uh, just, just dealing with some of them. In fact, back in the day I was getting sold, uh, SDA 12A ethanol denatured with heptane, uh, yeah. and paying for 200 proof food grade. Uh, with a oh, wow. 200 proof food grade COA. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I found that out long after we were done doing business together, but 
that's well, something that'll get you fired up right there. You've got a direct line to us and and that, I mean, because that's a huge price difference. And, you know, I think it, it comes with the C tax, right? The cannabis tax, whether it's a landlord looking to take advantage of somebody or, or whoever it is, the C tax, I mean, everything costs more for this industry. And, and that's that traditionally that's been the case because it's kind of been an industry that has been put down into a corner or, uh, you know, societally unacceptable. And so you've got people that are used to being kind of discriminated against when it comes to getting fair supply uh, or even fair regulation. Right. I mean, the fire departments will um, be a little bit extra scrutinizing depending on the type of manufacturing process that's happening when it comes to flammable products. But, but yeah, unfortunately, I'm sorry to hear that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's call, give us a call. That that's exactly what we stand for. We are here, uh, exclusively for extractors to be able to get the highest purity products for the lowest cost and not be subjected to, um, some of that, uh, you know, that kind of behavior. Cause that, that is the old weed just, game shenanigans. Exactly, man. <laughs> and, and that's what, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's why we have a little bit of a different perspective. You know, I think at the, at the core of our company, uh, there is a true care and concern, uh, for the, the industry. We want people to find peace and relief and medicine, um, uh, safely. Um, and, and we don't, uh, this isn't just a rush for us. We've been in this, we've been in it for the long haul and we're in it for the long haul. And this isn't a make a quick buck because some unsuspecting extractor didn't uh, know the difference between CDA-12A and just pure ethanol. Or didn't Uh, send it out for our own independent analysis because you handed us a COA. And and where would you even go to do that, right? I mean, and that's some of the information and and the resources that we make available to our clients. If you want to go do independent lab testing, who to call and how not to get ripped off on that, right? Absolutely, yeah, right. That that can take you down a rabbit hole. And it's stuff that this industry – we need the support. And and that's what we're here for. I mean, I I feel your pain. And uh, give us a call. We'll make it right for you. Right on. Well, hey, I appreciate that. I think there's a lot of people out there that will. Um, So moving on from there, season one of The Modern Extractor was about ethanol extraction. And I really didn't cover solvent selection during season one. Um, I was was raring to go and new to podcasting, so I jumped right into SOPs and what to do um, and and didn't really talk about solvent selection. So let's talk about that for ethanol for a minute here. Um, People people are using food grade 200 proof USP uh, is, is a very common thing, uh, in, in recent years, that's kind of because of the excise tax that's moved away and people are starting to use denatured ethanol, which is the CDA 12A, uh, denatured with heptane. So, um, talk to us a little bit about the difference between the two. If we're going to, how safe it is to, uh, extract with one versus the other, um, how safe it is to have it in your facility and interact with one versus the other? Like, what, what what are the real differences here? Well, I think we all are aware, and if we're not, uh, CDA-12A stands for commonly denatured alcohol. Um, 12A is the federal formula. The TTB allows for certain denatured products uh, in, in the application of manufacturing. Um, the most significant difference is the cost savings, right? On a pure ethanol or pure alcohol product, you're looking at a, I think it's like $27, uh, per gallon, uh, tax. Um, and that, that tax is significant. If you're talking about a 55 gallon drum of 200 proof, uh, food grade alcohol, I think you're talking about, I don't know my calculator. I think it's about 17, $1,700 of tax 
just goes straight to the to the federal government. And that's uh, the, because you can drink it. Hundred percent. It could be used to make a distilled spirit, right? Um, and that's why DSPs, uh, distilled sellers permits, uh, have the ability to denature alcohols. So they have the ability to take alcohol, and it's not just food and beverage grade alcohol. It's all types of alcohol, pure alcohol, and denature it using different federal formulas. For instance, the twelve A that we all know in, in extraction. Um, and, and for the guys that don't know or the, the ladies that don't know, CDA-12A is also what everybody calls 710. Um, 710 Solutions is our brand. Uh, there's a great company out of Colorado uh, called 710 Spirits. Um, but, but this is a denatured product um, that is a combination of, uh, of, of pure alcohol and the denaturant in this particular formula uh, which is, is, is a, a heptane, right? So the federal formula only calls for uh, heptane. At Solvent Direct, we have we only use uh, certain standards when it comes to the alcohol and the heptane that you're denaturing with. Uh, so we we run a 200 proof uh, USP food grade uh, food and beverage grade a- alcohol uh, with high purity heptane. Our high purity heptane meets GMP spec, um, and that's a little bit unusual. You've got all sorts of different grades and quality standards that are purity standards that you could be using in that blend. Um, and that's something to look out for. I think the answer to your question, though, um, is is that uh, the the reason somebody might use a denatured alcohol as opposed to a pure ethanol or pure alcohol uh, is a for the savings, um, but then b yeah, chemically uh, you're talking about something that is not safe for consumption. Um, so if you were to drink a pure alcohol, you'd get very drunk, but you wouldn't get sick denaturing or the act of denaturing an alcohol is designed to make somebody that might try to consume that product sick and, and, and sick is the heptane, right? That, that would make you, it could, you know, poison you. Um, and so that's how the government deters you from using that pure ethanol heptane blend CDA 12 a, uh, to make a spirit. Uh, it's what, it's, it's what deters uh, people from doing that. And that's why they allow for the significant tax savings. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, uh, the reason it works for extraction is because it's got a lower boiling point, right. And it, and it cooks off the, the heptane evaporates and it just leaves behind no residue or taste. And you're left with the pure alcohol in the extraction. Um, and so, uh, it, it, that's what saves you the 72%, uh, uh, you know, up to 72% federal excise tax or 27 per gallon, um, because you're running something that's denatured, but you would not want to use that for instance, to mix into a tincture, um, or to make the, gummies with or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You want to make sure that you're using that solely for the process of extraction where you're recovering that, uh, solvent at, uh, before, uh, putting those products out on a shelf for human consumption. So just to clarify, uh, if I'm going to take my oil that I'm extracting all the way through to a distillate or to an isolate, um, there is not any ethanol remaining. So that means that there's definitely not any heptane remaining if I'm using the, uh, the 710 or the 12 to extract with. So with that all gone, I don't have any uh, residues to worry about or anything to that effect. I think that's a, a big question that I've heard asked in the past. Yeah, a hundred percent. The the key to that, I think that you're missing there, is that you're testing, right? That your your test results, your analysis is showing that you don't have any residual solvents in that product. Um, because if you're if you're not 
you know, completely recovering down to PPM or PPB, um, you know, you, you just want to make sure that your process is sound and that you are recovering that back out of there. Yeah, understood. I mean, I, I think it's, I guess it's not a given, but there's some bad processes out there. But if you're down to distillate or down to isolate, there's very rarely going to be any residual solvents there. But my question is, with all of the solvents removed, I'm not going to have anything to worry about from uh, from a residue standpoint from having the heptane in there ever in the past. Right, right. You know, the, the when you look at GMP, if you're exposing something and it's not the right grade, right, you might have some question marks there, but the regulation just doesn't, it's not out there. Um, you know, it's, it's a, that's why we choose high purity heptane. Understood. We don't just go for any cheap heptane. And, and what you saw, you know, 95% of the alcohol production in the U.S. is fuel source. It's designed to go to a gas station and be blended with gasoline. Um, uh, and, and those guys are not capable. Uh, well, they could be capable. They don't have the facilities and infrastructure to do something in a food beverage or, you know, fragrance is another industry for, for pure alcohols. But um, at that standard, they're, they're really just producing alcohol to be shipped out to a gas station. Um, and what you saw with the pandemic and the hand sanitizers was unfortunately these fuel source guys, everybody stopped driving, right? The world shut down kind of in an unprecedented way. And so all of these fuel source alcohol producers for the first time in history didn't have anybody to sell their alcohols to. And then suddenly, I think it was April 2020, the FDA comes out with these emergency guidelines on sanitizer. I mean, everybody, you know, you're just rubbing sanitizer, you're drinking. What, Trump told us to drink it or something? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I had a foray into sanitizer myself. It was uh, quite an adventure. There you go. Well, and I think uh, good for you, right? I mean, because there was an unprecedented need for sanitizer. I can tell you um, April, May, but I think it was by the end of May that China was able to get boatloads of prepackaged small quantity sanitizer over here to be able to supply the, the, the unprecedented demand that we were seeing in the country. But between, I guess, whatever, March and, and, and May, end of May, no, there just wasn't enough sanitizer. It was sold, right? We didn't have enough toilet paper. We didn't have enough sanitizer, whatever it was. And so everybody was just trying to find a way to get sanitizer. Obviously, entrepreneurial businessmen like yourself were looking at the opportunity. We saw this a little bit in cannabis. Um, uh, you know, we had some uh, some guys that, you know, were, were mixing it and making the sanitizer under those emergency guidelines from the FDA just to give to their local fire department and hospital and say, hey, you know, here we're trying to commit uh, – uh, 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 commit. Uh, we're trying to uh, contribute uh, to the cause and help your you know, first responders out by getting you sanitizers. And you saw the whiskey distillers doing it, people that had the infrastructure. Um, the problem was because the FDA had reduced the standard under these emergency guidelines, these fuel source guys are sitting around with huge storage of, of, of fuel source alcohol that could or could not have heavy metals in it, uh, unsafe for human uh, contact or consumption, uh, setting, say, sitting around going, well, wait a second, guys, no cars are driving. The gas stations aren't buying our fuel source alcohol. Could we sell it to sanitizer companies? Right. And then I think it was June, 2020, where you saw, um, the FDA all of a sudden changed their tune. All right? the recalls coming. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So they they loosened up the requirement to be able to get it out into the market, but then very quickly saw that you had the unscru you know unscrupulous you know players out there feeding the the wrong purity standard into the industry. And so I think you know when you're talking about gummies and other 
products that that will eventually have serious product liability implications and consequences. I think we're still very young, right? I mean, we're just not dealing with, you know, remember the woman that sued McDonald's for the coffee being too hot, um, you know, or, or these other situations where you've got, you know, we live in a litigious country. Uh, California is a very litigious state. You've got everybody suing everybody for every reason possible. And you've really got to watch yourself. You've got to make sure, just like the Tylenol example, that you're sourcing the right purity standard um, because it's you. Forget the FDA coming in or somebody else coming in. It's going to be you when people get sick or people get hurt. It's going to be your business. Yeah. And just because somebody handed you a COA, like you were saying earlier, certainly does not mean that that's actually what you got in your hands. There's some some real scumbags out there in the uh, in the solvent world. Some guys that you want to take a shower after dealing with. A hundred percent. And and the judge, the judge, judge isn't going to care. Yep. When you get hit with a class action lawsuit because your gummy bears got 500 or 5,000 people sick and you're faced with some monumental, you know, roundup, right? I mean, the, 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 the weed killer lawsuit. I mean, these, these issues of product liability are very serious matters. And no, you're absolutely right. The judge isn't going to go, oh, well, you know what, gummy bear company, you're off the hook because that guy that used to sell paint thinner sold you the wrong purity standard. Don't worry. We'll let you off the hook. It's We're going to go blame somebody. No, that's not the case. They're going to go after you. They're going to go after Tylenol. They're going to go after the guy that put it on the shelf with the label on it. And, and that's something that I think our industry really needs to be sensitive and aware uh, you know, sensitive to and aware of. Um, and it's it's exactly what, again, Solvent Direct is doing. We've curated a catalog of product that meets and exceeds standards. And, and yeah, we have a price match guarantee. And yes, people send us invoices all the time. And it's like, wait a second, that's a drum of basically paint thinner. You would never want to use that in this manufacturing application. And no, we can't price match that. You're talking about a completely different purity standard. And, and meanwhile, all of those guys selling paint thinner and fuel source alcohol and industrial gas suppliers that don't know the first thing about cleaning a tank or what a COA actually means because they've been selling industrial welding supply for the last 50 years. These guys don't care because they're just seeing the green rush. They don't care about that end user. They're more concerned about their, their, you know, their revenue or their profit. Bottom line. Yeah. Well, moving on from there, I, I certainly have a lot of respect for the, the care that, that you put into all of that, and uh, that's that, that's fantastic. We need more people that are that are good actors on that side of the business. Um, so, thank you on behalf of everybody there. Yeah. Man. Uh, moving on to how you do it, let's talk about logistics a little bit. So, one of the big selling points of Solvent Direct is you can deliver these quality standards, and you can deliver it quickly. The majority of the places in the U.S. Yeah. So, in, in order to be able to do that. Uh, you've obviously got a fleet of delivery vehicles, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the back end. I mean, are there? I'm, I'm picturing tanker trucks and semi trucks and train cars and ships and who knows what. So, so tell us <laughs> how, how it all works to, to make yeah. this work from a logistics standpoint. I think we were joking in the office the other day uh, how great it would be if we get a drone to drop off a tank of gas uh, or a tote <laughs> of ethanol. Um, so no, we do not have uh, train cars ourselves or boats ourselves. Um, we certainly use those delivery mechanisms to be able to reinforce our supply chain, essentially. Um, you know, 
historically, consistency and reliability has been a bit of an issue for, for some companies being able to supply these products. And so having a strong supply chain is our number one um, goal. I mean, we've got a team of people studying inventory minimums, uh, maximums, minimums, uh, sales trends, new business, old business, constantly to make sure that we are always in supply. Um, once that's then brought into one of our fulfillment centers, sure, the logistics and dispatch that goes into making sure final mile delivery is is done uh, effectively and on time every time is a it's phenomenally challenging. I'm sure. Um, Interestingly, I, I was a pizza boy back in the day. Um, All right. One of my very first jobs was delivering pizza. And um, I worked for a big Italian guy that was always pumped up in the gym. You know, I might have been pumping those muscles up with whatever. And um, if I screwed up, man, it, it came out of my tips, you know. So I, I learned at a young age how to how to deliver something with a smile on my face, even when it's a rough day or you know, and, and what to do when they say, well, this pizza is cold, you know, go back and get me another. Um, and so that kind of response time, I kind of joke sometimes we do hazmat delivery combined with pizza delivery times, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes or less like Domino's uh, combined with the white glove quality service that you would get at a, at a luxury establishment, restaurant, hotel, whatever it is, just somewhere where people really care about you and your experience. And in our case, it's, you know, we care about their businesses. Well, hey, that was a good answer for uh, the the first question of how'd you get into the uh, cannabis solvent supply business was the the pizza. Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's one of those things. I think there's a quote that says like, "Doesn't the final meaning reveal itself, if at all, only at the end?" Right? I mean, you know, it's like what, how, how do, how does this story unfold as time goes on? It's it's just I, you know. I, and yeah, sure. I mean, that those pizza delivery experiences uh, definitely inform um, who I am today, right? I mean, and, and how I run the business. But um, uh, it, it's, it's challenging, right? So we run a private fleet of trucks. We've got hubs all over the country. Um, some of our most advanced hubs or branches, distribution centers, whatever you want to call it, um, are full-fledged 24-7 uh, uh, running uh, you know, three to five trucks uh, per day. Um, these are typically smaller trucks. You know, we're not running 18 wheelers final mile. We're typically running, um, you know, 18 foot trucks, uh, 26 foot bobtails, uh, Ford transit vans, that van, you know, like the sprinter looking van. I own one. I love it. Dude, they're one of the best vehicles out on the road, right? Absolutely. Um, just very effective in that final mile delivery. But from 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 a sales chain perspective, from the moment that we know about an order and we make it as easy as possible, you can uh, scan a QR code mm -hmm. with Solvent Direct and boom, hit a reorder button and, and we've got a truck rolling to you, right? We've got recurring orders that are set up on schedules so that we can predict and forecast need and actually be there before you even know that we need to be there for you. Um, and, and, uh, but, um, it's, it's, it's very challenging. Uh, you know, the reality is that there's always going to be delays. There's going to be traffic. There's going to be flat tires. There's going to be service, you know, something doesn't work, something doesn't go wrong. And, and, and I think really, uh, that comes down to people. Um, you know, we've got a team of people that are so committed, um, to, 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 to the, to the service that we, that we provide, right. The, the supply chain that we provide. Um, it's, it's really amazing to see. Um, and, and I think, uh, part of it is that we, we feel so grateful to have the opportunity to be of service in this way, um, to have a, a growing business, uh, even, you know, with the pandemic, um, 
uh, and other kind of adversities out there. It's a, you know, there's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of learning lessons, but uh, between good people, uh, good technology, we use a lot of GPS telematics. Uh, we have cameras uh, that can tell us exactly where our truck is, what the traffic is looking like, uh, automated customer notifications, you know, just like Uber. Hey, your, your truck, your delivery is coming. It should be there in an hour, you know, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, and then also the combination of product categories, right? Uh, you can't, most ethanol suppliers don't do butane or dry ice or filtration media. Most alcohol suppliers in the country don't actually even have final mile delivery. Um, you know, a private fleet to be able to execute final mile. Well, and, and same goes for your typical, uh, industrial gas suppliers. They don't typically do ethanol. And so, you know, by putting it all on one truck and then executing that final mile real time, I mean, in most advanced markets, we have next day delivery. We have same day delivery available, but it comes with a bit of a premium. Uh, we do everything in our power uh, from a sales chain and supply chain perspective to be able to forecast need, uh, whether that's us checking in with our clients, uh, having scheduled routine, uh, having uh, forecasts and, and predictions made. But um being as responsive as possible. We like to avoid the same day delivery, although it's available, um, just because that's not good for anybody, right? It, it puts a tremendous amount of stress on us and it puts a tremendous amount of stress on the, on the consumer because, you know, it's, it's down to the wire. Uh, but the next day delivery is typically our sweet spot. Um, you know, anytime before 4 p.m. if we receive an order, we can have that thing dispatched by 5 a.m. the next day uh, and sitting on somebody's doorstep with fresh dry ice, gas, butane, ethanol, alcohol, carbon chem, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're, we're, we're growing that, um, that network, um, you know, as new States come online, uh, you know, we, we, we grow that, whether it's through partnerships, we've got a new distributor up in Alaska. That's doing a really great job for us. Uh, shout out to DRP greens on, on Insta, um, uh, or whether it's our private fleet, uh, whether it's a partner carrier, um, we are laser focused on cannabis extraction, so we're not really caught up with other industries. Uh, I think you've seen some supply chain shortages. You know, the pandemic used dry ice. All of a sudden, there was no dry ice. The hand sanitizer industry consumed all the alcohol. Now we can't get alcohol for extraction. Solvent Direct is there making sure that our customers, whether it's by boat, train, plane, you know, hovercraft, uh, drone, whatever it is, we're doing everything we can to make sure that that supply chain is strong, watching our need, watching our sales chain and making sure that we are keeping in stock what we need to have in stock to make those next delivery, next day deliveries possible and, and not getting caught up with other industries that would take away from our laser focus on extractors. And so even when somebody calls us from Pennsylvania, um, we use what we call the RFP, Regional Fulfillment Procedure. Uh, we have a network of 3PL warehouses that we store and stage inventory. So if a customer is calling us from uh, Minnesota or Bogota, Colombia or Lesotho, South Africa, uh, we will, to minimize shipping costs, we'll put in four to six weeks of inventory, stage it as close to the end user as possible, arrange for a carrier uh, that's as nimble and, and, and uh, flexible and communicative because one of the big issues with major freight carriers is you just can't get somebody on the phone that's accountable. Uh, and then trigger that uh, all, almost automated so that as soon as we see an RFP come across the calendar, boom, we have the people in place to make that final mile execution within days, if not same day or next day. Uh, even in markets where we don't have, uh, you know, uh, uh, boots on the ground necessarily. Um, so it's a way to kind of tackle some of the challenges that we're seeing in some of these emerging markets. We're getting a lot of calls from Minnesota right now. 
Um, uh, you know, and so, um, we have a couple of different ways of dealing with it and I'd, I'd say all of them are pretty damn good. So that kind of leads me into the next question without having boots on the ground in some of these, uh, in some of these various locations, um, Yes, you can make it happen, but with cannabis in particular, uh, buying a product in bulk, breaking it down into smaller packages, and then selling it to the people that need it or want it is kind of a business model that this industry is no stranger to. Um, So that said, there's going to be folks out there that contact a chemical distributor and start downpacking and uh, that are, are pretty savvy at that idea of breaking something down and selling it so you can make a profit. So what, uh, what is there out there to create a barrier to entry for your competition uh, and stop people from coming after your market share? What are you doing to protect all that? Wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, we're really focused on being better, right? We're not focused as much on how we can defend market share. Um, sure, it's something that comes across the the, the table. Uh, you know, 2018, we saw the farm bill pass. And suddenly, ethanol suppliers that would never talk to somebody that grew a green plant, uh, all of a sudden, they were their best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came in with, you know, super low pricing, whether the purity was there or not. Um, and I'll tell you, a lot of them have kind of faded away. Um, I think the key to what Solvent Direct does and what makes us so different is our final mile capabilities, right? We, we're not a big top heavy company. We're laser focused on extraction. We have the ability to be more responsive and of more service than most anybody out there um, because we're so laser focused. Uh, but um, to answer your question, I mean, listen, there's a lot of regulation that goes into that. Uh, if you know somebody that's familiar with, with breaking down products like alcohol, um, you know, and especially food grade product, right? Are you doing that in a food, uh, to a food standard? For instance, our, our DSP, um, you know, we've, and we've got some cool video of it on the website and on Instagram, but you know, every single line has to be dedicated. So whether it's 190 proof food grade ethanol or 200 proof food grade ethanol, the hoses are different. They're labeled differently. And so there's a lot of regulatory, and then you've got fire, right? I mean, you've got a major, um, fire, uh, you know, requirement, uh, to be able to handle that kind of product. Um, uh, so I would say, what is the barrier to entry? I would say regulation, right? Uh, I would say, uh, purity standards, you know, if somebody wants to do it the right way, they're going to they better, you know, make sure that they're, they're, they're doing it to the right standard. Um, and then finally volume, um, we've, we have been very lucky, uh, to have been, you know, I've been in this space six, seven years now. And I have, um, we as an organization have some pretty significant buying power. It gives us the ability, whether we're spot buying um, from Korea, right? I mean, or, you know, we, we did bring in boats uh, uh, back in April, May of 2020 to be able to offset um, the hand sanitizer rush for our core you know, core competency or our core market, um, we brought in, we imported some boats from Korea. Um, and, and, you know, being able to do that, um, it's, uh, it's significant. Absolutely. Um, I, I encourage anybody, um, you know, I love, uh, competition. I love seeing people thrive. I love seeing people realize goals and dreams. It's, it's something that, you know, I feel so blessed to be able to, to do it myself. And so I encourage anybody to do it, but I think that you'll find there are a lot of, um, obstacles, right? Your buying power, right? How do you even get that first order out? You know, 
Um, how do you get that first 55 gallon drum to break it down or a 5,000 gallon ISO tanker? It's expensive and, and it's competitive. And, you know, when the bigger boys, cause that's something we face, right? We've got uh, major global players that we work with and compete with. And in some cases, both, um, it's just important that we stay on top of our P's and Q's and we do what we do best, which is that final mile delivery, that final mile distribution, our responsiveness to our consumers, uh, has given us the the privilege of significant buying power, which allows us to get the most cost-effective products out to market um, uh, in a sustainable way uh, in ways that smaller smaller players out there just can't do. And that's why we have the price match guarantee on the website. Uh, you know, if we're talking apples to apples, there's nobody that can that can compete against us. It's just uh, you know, it's that simple. Right on. Well, congratulations on that one. You built it. You built it at the right time and the right way. Do you guys have any products or services that you're launching in 2021, other than your uh, your automated drone delivery? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that we can be excited about, or that we should be expecting to see. Yeah, I think um, so. There's a couple of things that projects that we have going on. Um, you know, one is that we're we're producing our own dry ice. We're setting up dry ice plants uh, at a couple of different locations. That's going to give us a lot of uh, control over our supply chain. You know, when we saw the pandemic hit and the vaccine required dry ice, nobody could get dry ice. Uh, we're going to prevent that with some of those investments. We also have our technology. So those patents uh, are for a, a product called SD360. SD360 basically is uh, 360 degrees of support for a facility, both on the transparency and, uh, transparency and manufacturing and compliance. So the ability to show the fire department what they want to see and the ability to show the consumers what they want to see, all built into one little easy-to-use system. Um, so that's, that's also a great product that we're going to be rolling out. Um, you know, I think, uh, and then generally you have just the new technologies, right. And, and staying up on, uh, those new technologies, um, is, is something to definitely keep an eye out for. The media game is fascinating. If you haven't done a, a, a podcast on, on medias, um, I would definitely recommend it because it's, it's the innovation, the rate of innovation in our industry as a whole is, is just fascinating to watch happen. Um, but I think uh, when it comes to the medias and the different applications of clay and zeolites and all the other things that are happening, that's, that's also something to definitely stay up on. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. I've uh, I've got an episode coming up uh, regarding CRC, but uh, you know, there's there's media's that that aren't necessarily used in in that application that are worth covering as well. So maybe I'll just change that around to uh, to to media. Uh, so yeah, a couple of personal questions just to wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, what are you personally most excited about regarding the future of the extraction industry? Wow, that's a big question. I am I am very eager to see Middle America find the peace and relief that our customer, existing customer and consumer base uh, already enjoy. Um, you know, when you see a father hold up a bag of pills that his epileptic child has been sucking down since birth to be able to control the seizures, throw the bag of pills away because a simple, you know cannabis-based product or CBD product gives the child the relief that the pills, I mean, that's just mind blowing for me. Um, you know, I, so, so that the, 
the application of the product as a whether it's you know proactive health or reactive health, right? I mean, um, you know, medicines and pills, it's kind of like it's reactive. It's just treating. But then you have supplements, vitamins, things that you're doing to get proactive about being a healthy, mindful person. I think this plant has so many benefits. I think we all know that, but I'm really eager to see the rest of the world wake up to it. Uh, I think there's some people that are very dialed. You know, they're already talking about mushrooms and other things at this point. But the the middle American that's, you know, hooked on opioids, um, that's depressed, that's taking selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and having erratic emotional breaks, um, find a more consistent source, a more um, sustainable source. Um, the environmental impacts, right? And we know the application of hemp fiber and and uh, uh, textiles, and uh, I mean, you name it. I think I think it's just it's just the beginning, and um, and I'm really excited to see the world wake up to these products. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, well, Lex, if people want to get a hold of you to uh, you know talk to you about how your solvents can be integrated into their processes, or if your delivery times work out well for them, and all, all the other good stuff, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I think we we make it pretty easy over here. Obviously, Instagram's a big platform. You know, at Solvent Direct. Um, our website solventdirect.com. It's really easy to communicate with us. We have chat. Uh, you can t- we have a hotline that's kind of like the one eight three three pure gas one eight three three seven eight seven three four two seven or pure gas. Um, you can call or text that basically twenty four hours a day, um, uh, and then you know obviously email. But I, I would say hit the website or hit the Solvent Direct Instagram, and and you'll be able to to get in touch with us pretty easily. That's great, Lexus Shantz. Thanks for coming on the Modern Extractor. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it, and. Uh, Look forward to seeing you do more uh, more podcasts. All right. Thanks again to Lex for joining us today. If you want the highest quality solvents and extraction supplies delivered quickly anywhere in the world, look no further than Solvent Direct. If you want to get a hold of them to see how to work them into your operation, definitely check out their website, www.solventdirect.com. You can also find them on Instagram, at solventdirect, or their hotline, one 833 pure gas as always if you want to hear about something specific on this show let me know email me jason at modern make sure to follow the show on instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor if you guys like the show please subscribe and give me a rating the more subscribers and better ratings we get the better guests i can book for you here in the future stay tuned for next week when we'll have boris kogan join us from busy bee We'll cover what a closed-loop hydrocarbon extraction system actually consists of, as well as what sets busy bee systems apart from the herd. A big thanks to Isada Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout-out to the new fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into The Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon.